Today, um, I'm going to kind of continue on what I shared about from last week. I want to talk about uh, the safety of love a bit more. And you guys might remember last week I shared some, some big reasons why we struggle with anxiety and fear, panic attacks. And at the top of that list, if you remember, I shared that when we lack safety and love with God, then we are going to have those kinds of problems in our life. And I find that we tend to want a very quick fix to our problems. We just want it to get done, and we just want to hurry up and get right back to our life. But, but when it comes to love, or specifically the safety of love, we have to revisit the foundations of our Christianity. Now, I, like probably most of you, would just love three quick steps to snip the branches off, you know? And we get really frustrated when we just snip branches because what happens is that branch just kind of grows right back, doesn't it? So what we've got to do to get to the root is to get to the root. We've got to get to the root of these problems. We've got to get to the heart of the issue, the heart of the matter. But in order to do that, we have to realize that the problem isn't the problem. And I noticed this a lot in my struggles, uh, my OCD and anxiety issues, because I've felt like no matter how much I've chased a specific fear, a specific anxiety or phobia or some obsessive issue, no matter how much I've chased it, it's never really led me to the real solution. And when that happens over and over, we can even quit trying to fix our problems. How many have gotten tired and you're just like, I'm out? But it's when we come to the end of ourselves that we realize that the real problem isn't the problem. The problem is actually how I view God. That's the real problem. Yes, we can keep chasing the symptoms, but it's when we look at the root system that we begin to really understand why we suffer the way we do. And it won when it comes to the problems of fear and anxiety and depression, panic attacks, I had to realize that in some ways, and I bet you'll have to say the same, in some ways I've had a punishment-based relationship. I had to realize that my relationship with God was not fully built on the foundation it was meant to be built on. So everything that grows from the faulty parts of our foundation, everything that grows from that, the stuff, we are just going to keep chasing and trying to fix the symptoms. We're going to run after that stuff. Do you want to know what your view of God is? Just look at what you start grabbing onto when life gets painful. When our battles are raging, it brings out what, re what we really see and what we think about God. 
one of the things that I've had to come to terms with was that I felt God is distant. Like he's always out there. There's so many times in my life I have just felt that God was not near me. Now I want you to know that is a lie. When we, we have a big lie like that in our life, guess what happens when big lives, lies like that are in our hearts? We start living out of those lies. And a lie like that reveals a rejection mindset. God is far away because I don't do enough good, right? I don't read my Bible enough. I don't pray enough. I don't love enough. So, so because I'm not enough and I don't do enough, God must be far. He's got to be rejecting me because I'm just not enough. Now, those things, Bible reading, prayer, loving, those are all really good things that we should do. And God invites us to partake in all of that stuff and reap all of the multiple spiritual benefits of those practices. But they cannot be a substitute for a real love connection, a real love relationship with God. This whole thing about God being far, that is a rejection issue. And it reveals that I, we don't fully know God as Father in our lives. You know, the entire New Testament is just one big revelation of the heart of the Father. I mean, it's all Jesus did when he was teaching us, he was teaching us to relate to God. He was like, I've got to show you how to relate to your dad. I've got to show you how to relate to your heavenly father. So what I had to realize is when I feel that God is far away all the time, I have a problem of not knowing how to experience unconditional love. You know, we can do church. We can do church life. But if we have a punishment-based relationship with God, then every time we don't perform well, we will immediately feel like he will dismiss us. He's going to separate himself from us. You're too ugly. You're too messy. So we go about our days, and depending on how well we feel, how well we do, God's distant one day. He's close another day. He's distant another day, somewhat close another day. And he's far, far away another day. And that whole attitude and mindset is wrapped in a punishment-based relationship. Feeling close to the Father when we do good and distant when, he, when we do bad, that's not the gospel. The gospel says you've got nothing to offer to be righteous. You've got nothing to offer to be close to God. And yet somehow we think we have to perform to make this relationship work. 
That's not how unconditional love works. We have to learn to receive love. But when we're trained in performance-based love most of our lives, we're trained in perfectionism and trained in religious legalism and getting free from that stuff, it can look really scary. Freedom can look scary. Because most of our lives we're taught to feel like we're going to head right into lawlessness. If I get too free, sin's on its way. Freedom actually seems too good to be true. So again, the problem of fear and anxiety, that's not the problem. The problem is how we are relating to God. That's the real issue. Do you know how to relate to God as Father? Do you know how to relate to God as a God who draws near and He always remains faithful? Do you know how to relate to God who absolutely, unconditionally loves you right where you are? Do you know that His love in connection, that love is going to lead you to freedom, more and more freedom? I realize that in my mental health battle that I have a connection that wasn't completely and fully developed. You know, one of the symptoms of being in a punishment-based relationship is you're always afraid the hammer is going to fall. How do most people react when you hear someone say, hey, I... I need to talk to you for a minute. All right, y'all fall. You're like, (laughs) your boss, right? Hey, I I need to talk to you for a minute. How about kids? How about when your parents say, hey, can you come in here? I'd like to talk to you for a minute. Right? How many times do we react the same way when God wants to talk with us? How often do we feel that way when we open our Bible? Oh, here it comes. (sighs) Another pounding. The hammer of the word is coming to break me again. Now think about the flip side. How often do we ask to talk to someone just to tell them how much we appreciate them. Hey, come here. And their eyes are bugged out like, here it comes. Come here, come here. I love you. Really? No, come here. Come here, I'm going to hug you and kiss your face. I love you. How many times have you said to your child, come here, I need to talk to you. I've got something really important to say. You mean the world to me. How often do you feel God wants to speak to you and tell you how much he adores you? 
If we're punishment-based, we're going to avoid God. We're not even going to give him a chance to say those things to us. And we're going to even avoid others because we're just prepared that everyone around us is always going to call out the negatives that they see. You know, I, I find that one of the unintended consequences of the Oreo cookie method of correction is when we get a compliment, we are conditioned to think that the correction is just next. But then the follow-up compliment, right? Well, if the only time you're giving a compliment is to set up a correction, you might be doing compliments wrong. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't correct. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do it with love. But if we are punishment-based and we don't understand unconditional love, we will mostly drop the hammer more than we drop the love. You know, if we are punishment-based with God, we won't even know how to do Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If we're punishment-based, we won't be able to get our faith stirred up. Because fear and condemnation, they're going to win every single time. They're going to be the driving factors in our life. They're going to be what I'm listening to. That's going to be the narrative that's always playing in my mind. You're not enough. And if I don't feel like I'm enough, guess what I'm going to do to all the people I love? I'm going to let them know you're not enough. So no wonder we're anxious all the time. We're just listening to a bunch of fearful, condemning thinking. I mean, here's what the foundation of a punishment-based relationship will do. It will drive you to do things because you don't want God to punish you. And it will also drive you to avoid things so that God will not punish you. You see what I'm saying here? This will never build a long-term healthy relationship. Your kids, if they live in a way not to make you mad... You're not going to get the results you want. Your relationship with them will not turn out the way you want. If they are only trying to avoid your wrath, it's not going to work. I took them to church, Tom. I sent them to youth group. We read the Bible. I made them memorize scripture every day. Do they know you love them? I don't know why they won't come to church. I don't know why they don't care about anything. Did you school them in love? Or just the fear of hell and death? Love is the only true foundation that can build a solid framework for everything else to be built on. This is why we've got to stop chasing symptoms 
get to the root. Why do we have addictions? Because we need to be loved. Why am I fearful? Why do I have OCD? There's a deeper need of love to have its work in your life. Why do I have anxiety? Why do I have panic attacks? There is a deeper need for love to have its work in your life. Because love tells you you're safe in this relationship. Relationship with God doesn't suddenly leave you because you made a mistake or you sinned. Fact, Romans 5, 20 says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God's love always outpaces our sin. The problem isn't, is the love really there? The problem is, I really don't see him as a loving father. Therefore, I don't know how to receive that kind of love. And even if we do start to comprehend God's love, we've got unworthiness always back here just kicks up, you don't really deserve that kind of love. Eh. Remember what you were like yesterday? Remember how you spoke to your spouse or your kids today? Remember that? Yeah, yeah. you heard that love message, but you don't deserve it. In a punishment-based relationship, we are always going to struggle with feeling close to God. And when we don't have a grid or an experience of unconditional love, we are going to look for the rules. Rules have become a shortcut to help us avoid relationship, but still try to feel good about ourselves. You remember last week when I was talking about Moses and how he went up to the mountain and he saw the glory of the Lord. Originally, God wanted Moses and the people to come. Moses said yes, the people said no. Why? Because the people were fear-based in their relationship with God. They said, uh, Moses, uh, you, you go on up there. Go, you, you go for us and go get us the rules. Go get us the commandments, right? Tell us what they are so, so we can do the rules and God won't be mad at us. It's no different than today. How many times do we chase after teachers and preachers and true Bible scholars and people who we think are experts and gurus or people who we think are, you know, super saints and super mature in the faith and we want them to tell us what to do all the time. Now listen, we need good teaching. We need teachers. We need solid biblical preachers. But we, ne we can neglect the fact that, that I can go to the throne boldly. I can go and to the throne of grace and I can hear from God. The problem is not the problem. We need to let God work the root system in our lives. 
And let me tell you, kids, we got to buckle up because it's a long ride. This work, this root work, it's a journey. Thank you, Miley. It's a climb. But the beautiful thing is we can ride it all the way up on the back of Jesus. Because he already made the mountain. I'm a pathetic mess. There's no way I'm going to climb any mountain. But this is a journey. It is a journey of learning something that we have never learned before. Our parents did the best they could, but they fell short. Learning how to be loved and how to love others out of what we've received from God, that is the journey. Now, I want to look at this scripture that I shared from last week. It's 1 John 4.18 again. And it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, John really expresses the heart of what it means to be bathed in love. Listen, this passage, this is where all mental health battles need to be fought. Every emotional struggle fought right here. All heart healing fought right here. All of your trauma recovery, it's all right here. Relationship struggles, fear of tomorrow, phobias, whatever your battle is, it's right here. This says there is no fear in love. And you know what? We can, in place of that word fear, we can say there's no anxiety in love. There's no panic. There's no OCD. There's no depression. You can put so much in there. There is no fear in love. So when we experience authentic, true, real love, fear's not coming along with it. Phobic thinking, it's not coming along with it. Because love actually casts it out. You don't live here anymore. So how do we live out the safety of love that John is describing here? I think there's two keys when it comes to truly experiencing the safety of love. And the best way to know if you're experiencing that kind of love is seen in how you love yourself. Do you love yourself the way God loves you. You know, when we talk about love, there are three areas that are involved. We have a love relationship with God, ourselves, and others. And these three areas are where all of our battles lie. And it's here where challenges and difficulties start to arise. And you know what the trickiest one of these to do is? Loving yourself. Because so many of us see loving ourselves in some weird, odd way. We even think of it negatively. 
But love cannot have its perfecting work unless it has a flow from God to us and through us to others. For so many people, they spend years trying to figure out how to love their neighbor, but they've never figured out how to love themselves. In fact, most of us avoid the issue of loving ourselves. We don't know how to love ourselves. And so that creates blockage. Blockage in the flow, the flow of God's love. Because that's what love is. It's a flow. Everyone say flow. Flow. We first receive the flow of God's love. And it has to be received. Can't just go, oh, I know it's there. But uh, I'm not worthy. We receive the love. It has to be received. And then, and then for it to be received, then we get to give it back to him. Right? That's what verse 19 says. We love him because he first loved us. We love others because he first loved us. So what we have to learn is we have to understand and learn what it means to receive love. And that is foreign. That's a foreign thought for so many of us. But it is out of receiving love that we respond and love God back. But the test of how well we receive God's love is seen by how we truly love ourselves. Do we see ourselves the way that God sees us? Do we love ourselves the way God loves us? And then it is out of that revelation that now, guess what, I'm, I'm empowered to do. Love all of you. And if others love me back, well, that's just icing on the cake. However, it's when we start demanding others to love us. When we start demanding others to love us, we are now using people to fill areas that are probably only for God to fill so our journey is to learn what it means to receive and live in the safety of God's love. And when we look at love from the scriptures, I think there are two pillars, two keys on how love works. It's in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, and it's just right at the very beginning. Love is patient. Love is kind. Let's all say that together. One, two, three. Love is patient. Love is kind. I believe these first two words in this wonderful pericope, this wonderful section about the love of God, I believe these two words set the precedent for what love means in the life of our relationship with God, ourselves, and the relationship with the people around us. If we are going to start learning to love ourselves the way that God loves us, then 
we are going to need to learn to exercise a new mindset. The mindset, the behaviors, and the pattern of patience and kindness. Now, I'm going to give us just a super simplified definition of these two ideas so that we can start to see how to apply them. What does it mean to be patient? If I'm going to learn to love myself the way God loves me, I have to learn to be patient. Patience is what love is able to handle. Kindness is what love gives out. So two things that you can practice today is to make the decision that I am going to use my words along with my thoughts with my focus, my energy, I am going to create and strengthen a mentality and an environment around me where I'm going to be patient with myself and I'm going to be patient with others. See, patience is one of the most powerful tools you can practice with yourself as an overcomer. James 1.4 says, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, he's not talking about perfectionism. He's talking about maturity. That's what the word perfect means here. When you engage patience, you're actually engaging God's love. God is love. Love is patient. So we've got to make the decision that says, in my circumstances, in my situation, I'm going to be patient with myself. Because whatever you practice doing with yourself, guess what's going to spill out? It's the thing you're going to give to others. I promise you, you're treating everyone around you the way you treat yourself. You cannot avoid it. And if you're loving yourself the way God loves you and you're patient with yourself and you intentionally engage patience with yourself, you are going to give that out in all of your relationships, your interactions at school, at work, in line while you're like, come on, lady, get your coupons and scan them. Oh, my goodness. Am I here to serve myself? Where's the lines? Why aren't the workers over here? Am I, am, I, am I on you? Are we getting close? If you're patient with yourself, you're going to start giving that out in the relationships you have, in your interactions. You're going to remember, wow, I really blew it. Well, God's he's patient with me, so I'm going to give this gal a, a break today. In fact, I'm going to ask her if she needs some help. Most of us are so hard on ourselves. And we just share the love. We're always in a hurry. Right? Why, why, haven't, I, why haven't I gotten somewhere quicker? Why am I not mature yet? Why haven't I matured faster? 
That thinking leads us to one of last week's contributors to anxiety, remember? Pressure. Pressure, pressure, pressure. And when we get out of rest, which is what patience will create for us, we get into all kinds of striving. We get into all kinds of performance-based Christianity, and it pulls us out of a restful state. Pulls us out of love. Now, the second thing is kindness. Kindness is what love gives out. So when I engage kindness, I begin to access thoughts and words and actions of how I can be kind to myself today. Almost every struggle we go through has within it a component where we are not being kind to ourselves. We are hard on ourselves. We put pressure on ourselves. We have unrealistic expectations on ourselves. And then at the end of the day, guess what? We're exhausted. We're drained. We're worn out because all day long those thoughts have been chipping away at the experience of love in my life. And guess what again? If I'm not kind to myself, what are you going to be to your spouse? The answer is not kind. How about your kids and your coworkers? If you're not experiencing kindness with yourself, you can't give it away. So we've got to ask ourselves, how can we begin to be kind to ourselves? Can you look in the mirror and start saying words over yourself? Start by saying something like, God loves me. I love myself. I have what it takes to overcome today. Listen, your words and thoughts have a powerful effect on your experience of safety and love. Rather than beating yourself up with self-loathing and self-pity, how about we receive the love of God? Start loving ourselves through patience and kindness. And when you start doing this, when you start practicing this every day, you will start to pour out more love on others. Why? Because you're filling up on God's love. Ask yourself, what would it look like if I filled every thought with kindness first? What would it look like if patience was how I dealt with myself and others? You want to practice the love of God in your life? Practice patience. Practice kindness. And I want you to know these two keys have been so important to practice in my life. As a person who struggles with perfectionism, I have not had much patience or kindness for myself. In fact, because I've been so hard on myself, because I have falsely attributed that inner critic, that voice in my head, 
I have falsely attributed that voice to God's voice sometimes. Because I've done that, patience and kindness have been so lacking in my life. I remember when I was struggling with panic attacks, and I was so angry at myself. I was so, so angry for being weak. Why didn't the Bible help me? Why didn't scripture help me? Why didn't prayer help me? Why wasn't worship helping me? Because it's not because those things are powerless. It's not because they don't work. I had to figure out that it's because God needed to teach me about love. I had to learn about hesed. Hesed is the Hebrew word for God's covenantal, never-ending, always faithful, steadfast love. Usually, when we read word, the, words, uh, the word steadfast love in the Old Testament, when you read those words, it's normally the word hesed or faithful love. God needed to take me deeper into his love. He wanted me to know that in my darkest, most miserable, most painful point in life, that he was still loving me. When I was weak and failing, God wanted me to know his love never stops. Now, you may be thinking, Tom, if he loves you that much, why didn't he deliver you from it in an instant? Well, it doesn't always work that way. Pain actually has a significant value in life. Pain teaches us not to touch a hot stove. Pain tells, us, pain tells us something's not working correctly in the body. Pain teaches us right and wrong. Pain teaches us the right way and the wrong way to relate to people. Pain reminds us what sin is. And pain in the form of testing and trials is designed to produce endurance and character and hope and wisdom. And as I shared last week, emotional pain is a neon sign pointing to the place in my life where love needs to do a deeper, deeper work. So guess what? Pain is necessary for our healing journey. Without pain, we don't know something's broken. So why didn't God snap his fingers and stop my breakdown? Because he needed me to see what he already knew about me. He needed me to see where love was lacking in my life. Not that his love is in any way deficient. Not that it's anemic or weak. But I needed to see how weak and broken my capacity to experience his love really was. You know, sometimes we, we can really fool ourselves into thinking that we are great at receiving God's love. Or we even may go so far to think that we're great at loving everyone else. Because usually, you know, and, and we have those thoughts on our good days. When we're in our happy place. 
When things are going great, I can even convince you that I'm a rock star at loving you well. But the true test of love is when the trials and the pain come. The the love that shines in a trial is the love that we trust the most. You know, God really meant it when he said he would never leave nor forsake us. It's what he said to Joshua. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Now, how do we know it's true? How do we know this is true? Unless in those times when we feel absolutely alone, in the most lonely black hole of a pit we've ever been in, and then his love breaks through, how do we know? God really meant Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How do we know that's true? How do we know that this is real unless we have suffered the pain and the agony of Romans 7, 21? So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God but my, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? When sin afflicts our life and we have a wretched man, am I, moment, that's when the love of no condemnation finally penetrates our wounded heart. How do we know that nothing can separate us from the big and powerful love of God unless there is a threat of death that tries to separate us, unless demons try to separate us, unless things that are in the present and things that we think are in the future, unless height or depth or anything else in creation tries to separate us? How do we know that nothing can overpower his love if those things don't try to overpower it? When those things try to stop the love of God, we experience pain. And God will not allow the enormity, the strength of the the safety of his love to be cheapened or disregarded by allowing us an easy life. A life that is absent of pain and trials. You see, an untested love is an untrusted love. That's why our pain is not always removed at the snap of God's finger. Love is having its work. It's full and complete work in our lives. God knows how powerful his love is. It's us who are, con- are confused and we are deceived about his love. And listen, God's not cruel. He will not allow us to go through more than we can handle. And he will not allow us to be confused or deceived about the power of his love. It's easy to to think that God's cruel when he allows us to go through trials. But listen, the real injustice 
The true injustice is not experiencing the full weight and power of his overwhelming love in the midst of our suffering. To have something so awesome and magnificent and never have an opportunity to display its full power throughout our entire life, that is a tragedy of cosmic proportions. Now listen, God does not need to create pain and suffering in our life to prove his love. But Romans 8.28 says that God will use everything, good and bad, to show us his love. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. That's why we go through what we go through. Because God's love is patient and it is kind. Patience is what love can handle. And kindness is what love gives out. And if this is how God loves me, then I guess I need to love myself the same way. So the first thing I had to learn and start practicing to help myself get through my issues was to show myself kindness. I had allowed myself to be weak. And in my weakness was my opportunity to experience the loving kindness of God. And if God was loving me with kindness, then I guess I need to start loving myself with kindness. Because if I can't love myself and be kind to myself in my weakness, I will never be able to love anyone else in their weakness. So a few things I had to change while I was on my sabbatical. First thing was I had to stop negative self-talk. The daily negative self-talk that I engaged in. Every time I made a mistake, every time I didn't do what I wanted to do or something that I needed to do, I would use that failure as an opportunity to give myself a major put down. You idiot. How stupid. How could you forget that? Every time. It was habitual. I didn't think about it. It just happened. And I had to stop that. You know, it wasn't until I started working on that negative self-talk that I realized how much self-condemnation I had put myself in. No idea. I couldn't believe it, how much it happened. It was so ugly. Next thing I had to do, I was kind to myself when I would have a panic attack or an unprovoked anxiety moment. What I would do is I would allow myself to feel what I was feeling without judging myself. That was so hard to do. Another way I would be kind to myself was if I was tired, I'd just take a nap. Holy naps are really good. Listen, because when the guilt of being a worthless bum, try to enter my mind, 
I would have to imagine God just smiling at me. And I could hear him say in my heart that he wanted me to rest. He would say things like, I know you're mentally and emotionally exhausted from the ministry and all the problems that come with it. I know you're hurting inside. I want you to rest. Be kind to yourself and rest. Every time that I would feel pressure to make this the best, most productive sabbatical ever. (laughs) These people need a song. I got to come back with my song found again or it's a waste. Every time I felt that, I would stop myself and I would dismiss that pressure. And I would say to myself, this doesn't have to be anything. Because God is patient and God is kind to you, Tom. And he's not demanding anything from you. He just wants you to receive his love. Don't worry about the stupid song. Worry about love. I had to get to this place that any time I felt like God was speaking to me and it sounded harsh or impatient, I would have to remind myself that God is love and when God speaks, it sounds like kindness. Another way that I would remind myself to be kind to myself is that I would remind myself that I can't be condemned because I love God. And I'm forgiven and I am loved by him. And you know what else I had to do? I had to stop trying to help the blood of Jesus cover my sin. I had to stop punishing myself, adding my own self-deprecating feelings into the situation to help his blood a little. Oh, see, I, I know how awful I am. I'm really bad. I'm not going to watch TV today because it's sinful. I'm an idiot. I had to stop. And and as I said earlier, I know that the fear, the fear of if I show myself this much loving kindness and patience, the fear, what's going to keep me from falling off into careless sin? When we practice God's love in the form of kindness and patience to ourselves, it will not injure ourselves. And it will not injure others. If you're being kind to yourself and it gives you permission to sin, or you're hurting other people with your kindness to yourself, you're doing it wrong. You have slipped into true selfishness and true self-centeredness. I tell you, when real love touches your heart, sin is the last thing you want to do. Being selfish is the last thing you want to do. Because kindness will rise up and you will see your spouse or your kid or your friend who needs help. And you will say, I've been kind to myself today. I'm going to be kind to you. There won't be selfishness. 
More grace doesn't open the door to more sin. It's the other way around. The more sin affects my life, the more grace overcomes it. That is the kindness of God. And it is that kind of love that makes us feel safe. Safe with Him and safe with others. This kind of love, the patient and kind love of God, is what heals the broken places in our heart. Can someone say amen? This is your action plan for this week. I want you to identify areas where you have not allowed God to show you patience and kindness in your life. I want you to ask yourself, where are the places in your life where you've been critical and harsh and judgmental and self-condemning and unloving towards yourself? And then I want you to begin practicing love through patience and kindness with yourself. And I want you to track it. I want you to journal it. I want you to, to make note of how you experienced God's kindness or patience. I want you to write every day something. At the end of your day, as you go down to bed or whatever, and let that journaling be a good motivator to do it from the beginning of the day to the end i got to write something down. And as always, I'm going to recommend you get emotional healing so you can deal with some really troubled areas where you deal with self-criticism and self-condemnation. You can go to our website and do that. This week we're reading Acts 12. Please continue doing your hear journals and Lexio Divina. And we're memorizing Psalm 55, verse 17. Let's pray. God, we thank you. You are love. And love is kind and love is patient. So I pray, God, that by the power of your Holy Spirit as you carry us up the mountain, you would show us and lead us how to be kind to ourselves to be patient to with ourselves that we would understand how you have been kind and patient and you love being kind and patient with us it is not something you have to endure it is not something you put up with this is your display of love and you do it with joy so we receive that patience and kindness today. Oh, help me to receive more, God. We're asking, God, that you would help us to figure out how to practice these things when, when it comes to the, your love in our life. How do we need to practice love and kindness and patience in ourselves, with ourselves? And then I'm asking, God, to show me how. Show us how to pour out that experience of your loving kindness and patience into those in my life. 
convict us when something comes out of our mouth to say, was that kind what I just said? Was, were those words kind? I'm asking God, bring conviction in a loving and kind way because you are so patient. Show us the moments, God, that you are encountering us with love and we will be changed by your love. So, Father, we just consecrate this moment. And we say thank you, God, for showing us love. You are so tender and kind and patient. We love you, God, and we pray this today. In Jesus' name.